What's up? Sorry, Welcome I... to the Fake Magic, Magic podcast. podcast. I'm Jordan. I'm Jordan. Come on. I'm sorry. I'm. Matt. You made that joke like last I'm time Matt. or the one before. <laughs> I was totally gonna go. I you gotta wait like yeah. a month. Or, or, well, legal. it's been kind of a month. Or, yeah, I was gonna say or legally change my name. Um, um, I also this medication I'm on. The only side effect I've been well, one of the medications I'm on. The only side effect I'm feeling prominently is gas. So, nice. Sorry in advance. No wonder why you looked like you've been uplifted. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to make a bad That's joke. So dumb. Um, so yes, uh, let's address the elephant in the room. It We're has, back from the dead. Has been a little bit longer than we typically go. Um, we're not sorry. We're not. Uh, we have a ton of shit we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, some of it we'll tell you about, and a lot of it we won't. But just uh, know that kind of once this stuff works out in the, in the next couple of weeks, we'll probably be able to do a lot more. I don't want to speak for the both of us, but I feel that we are, I, perhaps I'll say I am stable and safe right now. I, I am as well. They're, they're just going through a lot of tough life things, but I mean. That Black Sabbath song changes. I don't have cancer, so that's good. Oh no, I got a knock on a lid. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so <laughs> to uh, make up a little bit for uh, the absence, I thought I would tell a hopefully funny story. I was going to tell Matt right before, um, <clears throat> but I thought it would be pretty funny to see uh, his reaction uh, live. Here we go. And I hope I don't uh, overhype it too much. It's but it's it's moderately funny. Um, so like this would have been back around 2014, 2015-ish. And this was like when I was really having a hard time with the church. And I, I think I decided to fully leave mentally anyway. And uh, <laughs> so I was doing all of the, uh, you know, promiscuous things such as trying coffee. Um <laughs> And putting things in your butt. <laughs> Not yet. Okay, for sure. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I did decide to do a, not like a bulk order, but like a hand. I wanted to buy a couple of sex toys. Uh, <laughs> Hell yeah. And uh, so we, I ordered it from Amazon and like, you got to keep in mind, I haven't, at that point I hadn't been in. Salt Lake City for more than at most a year. So I I ordered the uh, sex toys uh, on my Amazon Prime. And I realized I ordered them straight to my parents' house. Yes. And I, I just said, uh, Mom, hey, I got a package coming. Could you just like... I got re- a package. That's going <laughs> I'm like, could ding, you just reship baby. it uh, to me just when you get it? And she texts me when she gets the package and she says, yeah, there are multiple. Do you mind if I open them and combine them into one box? And I was like, please, mom, please don't. And I like at this point, there was no way I was ready to deal with something like that. Yeah. Like I, that would have been like one of the most mortifying thing that would have like put me in like out of like in just a weird funk, like read. You would have been confused by why you were turned on. No. Oh, okay. That's not me. Uh, oh, me either. Me either. Right. For sure. Definitely right. not you. Definitely. But, uh, God, it's so, um, I don't know if, cause my mom would have been the type and not on purpose, not to like invade privacy. She just would have opened them and combined them. Mm-hmm. So like a part of me wonders if she actually opened them and then maybe retaped them before. It's like a Schrodinger's. <laughs> in the principle of whether yeah. or not you ask her. Schrodinger's uh, <laughs> fleshlight. Schrodinger's <laughs> Schrodinger's fleshlight. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. Uh, Have you seen that? So to this day, sorry, sorry. I, I don't know if she's ever seen that pile of sex toys and lube or if she truly didn't separate the boxes and just shipped them back to me. And I don't want to open Schrodinger's flashlight by asking her <laughs> that's so hot um 
Yeah, have you seen that 4chan thread of that guy that was washing his flashlight in the dishwasher? No, and but it, it doesn't surprise It turns me. into like this moral argument of whether or not it's sanitary. The it's dis- sanitary. It is sanitary. Like tech well, on a technical like germ level. Oh, the, it's they were sanitary. talking about like the repercussions of cleaning it in the dishwasher, what it's doing to the dishwasher. Now that is the portion that I think you could have the question on. So it just depends on like the chemical makeup of the flashlight. I think it like, depends on how much cum there was in that thing. No, Re- that can just dude, wash out. Have you? Oh, dude. Oh, I mean, man. it turns kind never, of. Oh man, it turns kind of. A weird scrambled egg consistency. Yeah, no, it's like it's like caulking like, in. A, it's like fresh caulking <laughs> when you're like redoing like uh, bathroom stuff. I've had to waffle stomp so much cum in my life, dude. <laughs> I kid you not. See, I just I'm not comfortable doing that in the bathroom, or oh, not not in the bathroom. I mean in the shower. It's just oh, interesting. Water and sex doesn't really <clears throat> mix very well. Oh, even, no, even like masturbation. Oh, see, and I'm fine with um, that. My problem is. Again, the consistency of my ejaculate. Sorry no, for so, being so TMI. No, oh my so God. what happens though is <laughs> I can't remember where, <laughs> if it was some kind of documentary or other video I watched, but uh, uh, <laughs> because it, because cunt like male ejaculate has so much protein in it when it like gets heated up like in the shower or something it turns it starts into, working out. It turns into a <laughs> yeah. It turns into closer to like a scrambled egg <laughs> consistency. Then it like all gums up together and it's real gross. That is so gross. And we, you all know what you're talking about, unless you're asexual. Which is fine. We're just saying, you, you know. You know what I'm talking about. Um, unless you're a <sighs> lesbian so or you're asexual. Yeah, uh, what is it? They call it in this, they, I think they call it in the lesbian community a pink star lesbian. I'm getting this so wrong. It's a woman who's only ever had sex with other women. Oh, I don't know. God, I forget what the name is. Sorry to, um, oh, what's her name? There's a comedian that's actually really funny out of LA. Not actually really funny. Okay, I'm going to let that one roll off my back. Um, It's this blonde gal who does really good comedy in LA. She's super funny. She's been on a Rogan show before. Um, Temptress? Uh, She's from the South. Uh, Anyway, uh, I'll go heard of her she's actually, actually pretty yeah. funny she's actually no i'm not trying to say like oh well, like women she, but but no women she, can be she funny. funny they can be funny like <laughs> funny people can be funny yes. she is funny if you that's are a funny person you are a funny person yeah that's oh, what i'm trying oh, to oh. say she's really funny uh, obviously so funny i can't even remember her name damn it that's pretty um, funny I'll, i will get back to that um <laughs> temper damn it temper i'm so annoyed that i can't remember her name anyway she's a pink star lesbian that's the only reason, or whatever that name is. God, I'm just like, but in true Matthew Tanaka fashion, I'm just like butchering like. A we apologize story. profusely yeah. to those who would cancel us over these uh, mishaps. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, God, I'm all good, all good, all good. Yeah, it is what it is. I'm just annoyed. So, over these, we both have sort of had a couple of interesting past. Well, month. Probably really. the most formative month of my life. Um, my adult life in particular. I know you kind of wanted to talk about some of the stuff you were going through, uh, the stuff that you were comfortable with sharing. Yeah, I think I'm comfortable sharing, quite frankly, the whole thing, just so it's like really candid and um, that I I don't want to normalize this because I don't think it is obviously normal behavior as far as like what society is expected from like your cognitive capabilities in your uh lived experience but uh just quite frankly i got i uh, committed myself to a mental hospital uh, i stayed there for three days um basically the story started i told a little bit of the story tonight but uh to jordan before we started recording but um i had basically made a grimoire while i was in idaho of all of these shadow work principles that i uh, was working on in my own psyche. Uh, at the time, I was dry, not sober, but I hadn't been drinking. It had been about 60 days. Uh, I cataloged basically every trauma that I could remember. This is what I spent all my free time doing. I would write as vivid memories as I could and as much detail as possible. I would go for like 10-mile walks. This is not an exaggeration. For those of you who know me, you know yeah, I for, walk for about real. 10 miles yeah. a day. Matt's um, a walker. I am, it's, uh, it's part of my, and I'll get to this, but my diagnosis really made the walking make more sense because I've done it my whole life. 
Uh, it's just uh, the prominence of it is a little different. Um, anyway, I go on these walks and I just turn on the voice memos and I would just recite to myself through my headphones memories that I could remember and then I transcribe it to this grimoire. Well, anyway, I finished writing this whole thing and it was really intense because it was basically a Pandora's box that had opened up all these things in my childhood that connected a lot of dots to my behaviors and my idiosyncrasies in my adult life that were causing me major hangups. And I was starting to actualize these bits of the shadow, you know, really adhering to the union concepts within the whole thing. And uh, when I first moved to Salt Lake, I lost it. The day I got here, what I had do you mean unpacked, by lost it? So I'd unpacked everything in my house, everything in my house. So you lost the mine. journal. Okay. Lost, yeah, yeah, I lost the journal. Pardon okay. me. Yeah, I haven't lost it yet in the story. I'm getting there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> See, that, that's what I was. Uh, yes. You want to talk about a double entendre? Right. Um, anywho, uh, so for months I was looking for it. I was afraid it was at my the house that I'd been staying at in Idaho, and there was people that I had written really vivid details about childhood abuse. Uh, uh, in there that they could read by name. And so I was like, if they read that, like, I just have to accept that that's the case. I, I, I would like try to not let myself panic about it. But anyway, uh, basically I, I'd always had a drinking problem. I started drinking when I was 13 years old. And, um, the first time I ever drank, I, uh, I knew I was going to love it. I just, the way it felt. And, uh, yeah, I just, I knew from the first time I drank alcohol, that it was for me. And uh, anyway, so I was drinking myself to death in Salt Lake City. And in the spirit of honesty, I mean, I was to the point here. When I was living in Vegas, I was at about 45 beers a day. About, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'd I be, didn't even know that. I'd be at like seven an hour. Damn, Seven an hour dude. for seven to eight hours. Yeah, it depend on the day. It was also like I had COVID money. And so I'd buy Modelo's. I'd buy like 30 limes. I'm not exaggerating. And I would just drink all day. I think a lot of people can uh, relate to that. I think a lot of people's drinking went up during COVID. They're stuck yes. inside. I mean, there's yes. you know so much you can do. Well, it, when I knew, when I knew, I'd always known I was an alcoholic because I could not control my drinking. But when I was able to like really understand how bad it was, in that at that time was, uh, I'd be like six hours into this heavy drinking, you know, like extreme bar drinking six hours up by myself and I was still thirsty. That's when I knew I was like, fuck man, there's, this is, I've got an allergy. Like there's something not right. Cause I'm not getting more drunk. I'm just tossed, you know? Um, anyway, so I got to Salt Lake city and I was dry and then I didn't have a, uh, any reason to stay sober. And I was like, no, I'm doing good. Like my mental health is fine. Like it was yeah, just, it we was both, just one uh, thing. sort of at the same time. It, this is Matt and I have, really odd <clears throat> parallels to our lives where really situations are very similar, but th they're different enough that they're a different experience, but they're so similar that it's at times uncanny. We both decided around the same time to take a break from drinking for at least like 90 days, Yep, almost, almost to the day without talking to each other. And I, and then I, you came to Salt Lake, we hung out and I, you're like, I'm not drinking right now. And I was like, Hey, I'm not drinking right now. <laughs> Yeah, I remember remember New Year's Eve where we went to the bar and we just drank zero yeah. near beers and then we went home and then but then it kind of sucked. Yeah, it did kind of suck. I mean, I, I liked hanging out with you, but I, it was yes, just it I, was just I, stiff. I'm just also not a bar guy, so I always yeah, feel weird. I've had bar. to give that up. But uh, so the reason I'm giving this much of a backstory is we started drinking again, and by we I mean me. I wanted to. Why well, I, I did too, not uh, not but, quite as much. For the sake of the story, I, I want yeah. to take moral inventory and make sure that I'm saying that I started drinking again. It wasn't because of anyone else. It was my own volition. I was sure I had a lot of pride welled up in it, and I started drinking again, just the same way that I was. And I got to the point I was. I, I mean, <clears throat> and this is in the spirit of honesty. And so uh, where I'm going with this from here, just a heads up. Uh, this gets relatively dark. I am in a good place, but I just want to give you that heads up if you're uh, not equipped for that. You want to mm, give a little I, bit? Either substance yeah, abuse. Yeah, yeah uh, we could just put out a content okay. warning for like suicidal ideation, uh, mental hospital stays, psychosis, yeah. anything like that, mental instability that uh, causes any kind of self-harm if that's heavy for you. Um, this is this is where that starts. So um, I had bought a breathalyzer, and when I bought the breathalyzer, I realized I bought it not to make sure I was going to drive, but to figure out what level I was at. And I didn't even know you got one. Oh, I didn't tell anybody. And wow. I would buy I would buy rubbing alcohol, and I would mix it up in sodas, 
And I'd drink it at work. Yeah, yeah and I would blow into the breathalyzer. I'd get it from my locker, make sure I was at a point one six, which is what I needed to like function. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything over that, then I'd start to get like uh, schmaltzy, you know, like just talking like way too soapy and fake and shit. But point one six was where I was good. The sweet spot. Anyway, so I did this for a couple months, you know, in between there, coke benders. I was like just doing kind of whatever drugs I could get my hands on. Um, just kind of like blown around to the wind. Didn't have much gratitude for anything. I was just mentally, uh, oh my God, like you, I was such a floating target. You couldn't even figure out, I couldn't figure out if I was going to have a good day or a bad day. So I just assumed it was going to be a bad day. So this compounded, I finally like, uh, basically my, by the grace of whatever, is out there uh my roommates sat me down my now ex-girlfriend and they just basically had an intervention with me they did it like very padded but they were like you have a problem this is affecting people around you um i didn't agree with them at all but i was like fine i will do it uh, i or i will get this under control i stopped drinking it's been five months as of yesterday um Anyway, the reason for all That's that backstory is not an easy thing to do. No, five especially, especially at that level. Five months feels seven beers an hour for like every day during yeah, COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, not maybe exactly every day, but oh, it was just about. I mean, you I know what I mean. The, though. the days, the days I wasn't drinking, I could count on my hands. Right. Um, and that continued in Idaho for a while until I and I got on Suboxone when I went to Idaho to, uh, which is what you take when you're detoxing from alcohol, so you don't have seizures. So my first time I... You took that in Idaho? Mm, okay. I didn't take it this time around. And uh, I just want to say, if you are needing to detox, um, please go see a doctor or taper. Don't just stop drinking cold turkey. You can have really, really nasty Well, seizures. and if it's bad enough, it can kill you. It can kill you. I mean, yeah, but... You have to be so careful. And I'm yeah. not telling anyone to stop. I'm not telling anyone anything other than right. if you are choosing to stop drinking alcohol, you need to do it in a way that is not going to kill you. Uh, and so, and so uh, that's really where uh, doctor intervention helps. And, and uh, you can get that help at the emergency room. If it's that bad, you can go to the emergency room and say, I'm detoxing from alcohol, and they will obviously know what they're doing. So, so, so And that's urgent cares. If, if you're ever in that place, uh, please do not hesitate to utilize that. There are people in your corner, too. And, and the thing is, like, respectfully, and this is where I'm going, but alcohol detox, you people who are having a problem with alcohol uh, generally um, are shrouding it with a little bit of pride. And so it's hard to go get help. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of masking. But know that know that if you're going to the hospital to get help getting off the alcohol, uh, you got people in your corner. Always, 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 because they know that it can kill you, and they're taking it very seriously. I mean, I had to sit down with a psychiatrist, talk through the suboxone, you know. So um, anyway, so uh, I got, I quit drinking. Now this is where this gets weird, is you know, because it's been five months now. You know, I hit my four month mark, and uh, my mental health had just gotten worse. That was the thing that was difficult was the more sober I got, the more uh, actualized my mental illnesses became yeah. or just like my mental well, instability. And that was always there. Mm -hmm. It was either masked or suppressed by the alcohol. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to me. My drinking wasn't as severe, but I, I did a while back kind of have a problem. And I can talk about that later. For sure. Well, and so like <laughs> ultimately where the story like takes off from where I my lived experience is most recent. Uh I've, you know, I, I still get the alcohol shakes, especially before bed. And when I first wake up, I'm pretty, I'm pretty shaky. Um, I wake up and I crave it. I taste a little bit in my mouth. You know, it's not like end of the world. It's not as bad as it was my first 90 days. That's for fucking sure. Um, but I was, I just had a lot of life things going on. My mindset was just completely busted. And I'm not trying to be hard on myself in that regard. I just didn't know what I was doing. I was kind of just float, blown around in the wind. I had no constitution, no moral compass. And um, this gal had just broken up with me because I was mentally unstable. Or she, we, we just split up. We weren't together or nothing. But, you know, and it was just hard on me mentally. And it wasn't anything she did. Because I'd done this like four or five times in the last five months, if I'm being frank. And uh, I was on the train going home and all of a sudden I just started seeing shit and I was just like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Um, and I started like shouting at things. Uh, so like when you were seeing stuff. Okay. Um, I will get to there when okay. I uh, talk about the psyche okay. valve. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, so basically where it got like bad enough that I was aware I was aware of it the whole time that something wasn't right, but I was walking home and I was under a lot of stress. I was experiencing panic attacks throughout the day. I was having a high level of anxiety. And I was like walking home and I kept saying to myself out loud, like, I need help, I need help right away. I'm in an emergency situation. And then all of a sudden I was like thinking about all these negative doctors visits I'd had throughout my life and just really piss poor interactions and I was like and doctors won't fucking help and I'm like screaming at the top of my lungs and I'm walking past this parking lot and this guy sees me and he can tell I'm unwell and so he starts walking towards me because he can see that I'm just literally talking to no one and I'm just pissed and uh, I'm so embarrassed I just take off running and then I got to the got to my house and I my roommate and I had plans and I told them I was just like I wrote down the number to my boss. I wrote down my cat's feeding schedule, made sure they had food. And I said, I need you to take me to the mental hospital right now. And I went and I had an evaluation first thing. And I told them everything that I had experienced, uh, my sobriety, all that stuff. And uh, they committed me. They said I was, I, I was showcasing enough features now when i went in there i was convinced that i was experiencing psychosis i i had told them i felt like i could be schizoaffective or schizophrenic and i wanted to proceed with it from there and uh my first night in there was just rough um you know being around other people that were having a hard time but i was i was getting the medication getting the help and um i was able to see psychiatrists when i was in there multiple psychiatrists and uh you know, they, they just sent us through these programs uh, while we were there. Lots of like reflection, lots of therapy, lots of involved therapy. Oh my God. And lots of, uh, lots of like uh, meditation and just personal reflection, writing things down, things to the tune of that. And uh, anyway, uh, I got my psyche eval and I told him what I thought I was experiencing with psychosis and I gave the psychiatrist all the details and he was just like, yeah, this isn't psychosis. This isn't even psychotic features. Um, and I was like, are you sure? Because I was trying to, I was explaining to him the whole story. And he was just like, no. Um, he had the DSM, which is the diagnostic manual for mental illnesses in front of him. And he was rifling through it while I was telling him what I was going on. He was like, you know, within the psychiatry community is like really, this is a really niche diagnosis. So I need to know more. He started asking me questions, asking me questions. And I was telling him about, um, just like random ones and things about how I would have like paranoia that I had accidentally killed somebody. I, I mean, I've, I've had that my whole life, you know, like my zipper was undone in public and I'm like, Oh, I'm a pedophile now. Cause I forgot about it. Like I'll have like these kinds of thoughts oh, man. and, uh, anyway, uh, um, I, that's excruciating to go through. I've, I've gone through a similar, I don't think to the extent that you have, but when you get stuck in that thought loop for people who haven't experienced that, mm-hmm. it is, it is like an excruciating hell on earth. Well, I've like I've like considered castrating myself before because of it. I'm like, oh, if I castrated myself, then I wouldn't even have to worry about this. Like, right. I've had, and I, I'm just speaking really candidly right now. Um, my, I, just to get to this this portion of the story because I Jordan and I relate so much here, and I want to hear his insight too. Um, I got diagnosed with OCD, you know, and um, you know it's funny because I have read I read a psychiatrist write up about OCD and he said living with OCD and living with schizophrenia are on similar planes of difficulty with social interaction. And that doesn't surprise me. It doesn't at all. surprise me either. Because um, the thoughts they literally take over and then they replay themselves over and over and over again, almost, well, almost like a record player. When I was in the sixth grade, this is how. I, uh, now I'm I'm taking you into irrational territory here, just to show you how my brain operates. And this is my brain uh, being medicated by antipsychotic medication, anxiety medication, therapy, exposure therapy, EMDR. This is something I experienced today, August thirty first, two thousand twenty one. I was walking home from my coffee uh, as I do. And uh, I started thinking about the song from when I was a kid and I started thinking about like the chord changes and I was like, I'm just going to go home and learn the song again. And I started thinking about this time when I was in the sixth grade and I was playing it and I had been playing the song and then I played it again and then I played it again and some guy was like, can we please get a different song? And he was an older guy that I didn't know, but I like admired the, the older peers in the music when I was in high school and I was so embarrassed that it now uh, 15 years later, 17 years later, I am was just so um, embarrassed by that moment that I like 
frozen my tracks like my shoulders were tense my arms were tense i was like hyperventilating yeah and i'm just like people what people don't want to be around me when you experience this too and i only know oh man god another similarity jesus christ when you get when you remember an event like that and if it's like ocd related or whatever it is like hyper realistic and like sense it has such sensory realness to it that it's almost more real when you're reliving it than when it actually happened and that's how bad it is yeah that's how bad yeah well i'll like you know like people will say i'm so ocd like i need my house to be cleaner i'm so ocd i need to take steps like this and i'm like you're close my ocd my diagnosed ocd is if i don't take this number of steps to get into my front door someone i know is going to be murdered yeah and i'm so paranoid about it that it's happening in real time like i have rolodex through my phone before checking in on people because i like dropped something at the store that spilled and then my steps were off and uh, my hands were sweaty so I didn't have an even number of bags on my hands and some guy was watching me uh, walk home or so I was convinced and he was like counting my steps and he knew that I didn't do it and it's like the shame element so I'm like rifling through my phone being like hey is everybody okay is everybody okay is everybody okay and they're like yeah what's going on you know and I'm like I think someone's going to die and it's just like it's things like that you know and uh, just to tie a ribbon on this whole thing my mental hospital stay was a net positive experience because i left there with a crystal clear diagnosis after having been misdiagnosed so many times and uh it made sense of what to do going forward and it also made me realize that my sobriety and my mental well-being go hand in hand uh, quite frankly, I think it's the most important part. I've had psychi- I had two psychiatrists in the hospital tell me that like getting into a support group and getting my sobriety going was going to be more important than any medication they could put me on. Yeah. And uh, I thought that that was really fascinating. OCD is like kind of difficult to treat with medication, but we're trying right now and it's working. Anyway, so that was really it. And I just can't advocate enough. Uh, I would encourage you to do research on the hospital before you go. It, um, if you're able to, if you're in a headspace where you can even think like that, or if you have somebody that can like do that for you um, and make sure that like it works with your health insurance, things like that. And I hate that it has to be that bureaucratic, but I encourage you to do that because I got lucky, but this can turn into a really nasty situation like yeah. that. But um, I was at Salt Lake Behavioral Health. I would recommend that hospital to anybody. The staff there was really good. Um, you know, it really normalized to me people that are actually schizophrenic, that are experiencing um, psychosis. Um, and quite frankly, I left there. And, you know, I've said this kind of blase, but I just want to drive this home that uh, there's such a stigma around people experiencing psychosis that you're, like, supposed to, you're obligated to be scared of them. You know, it's been dramatized and, like, um, glamified and glamorized in, in uh, film. Uh, but the, the thing that really scared me in there was not the people experiencing psychosis. It was rather the people that were experiencing mania. And that really opened my eyes to just, like, uh, you know, it was scary. I mean, seeing somebody that's just not well, hasn't slept for, like, four or five days come in and they're just a wreck. You know, your heart breaks for him, too. Um, one guy I talked to, um, I actually befriended in there. He uh, runs his own company, you know, lives in a good part of town, has a wife, has kids, lives a really good life. Um, literally, him and his psychiatrist had to change a dosage on a medication because he was having an allergic reaction. And there's like a dosage Ooh. that when you switch it, like it's going to like the allergic reaction will go away. I'm not a doctor, but what I'm trying to get at is they changed the medication and he went into a manic episode and he hadn't slept for like five or six days and he was starting to get aggressive. He was starting to like hit people and just like, and he's a big guy, you know, so he'd been committed. Um, it was so wild to see people in there with like names and faces and like spirits and thoughts and feelings, you it know, puts, I, I think it really humanizes, it humanizes the whole experience, the, uh, mental illness experience. Cause I've never been to a psych ward, so I don't, I mean, maybe you see like videos or something on YouTube, but to really see something like that firsthand just really puts it into perspective for you. And as like <clears throat> with me, I was misdiagnosed several times before uh, my autism evaluation and one of them was bipolar. And so they threw me on all a ton of bipolar medication that really probably made things worse. Um, 
but hearing stories of true and like i swear i mean mood swings come with like the adhd autism territory but it's nothing like true bipolar mania it's yeah. it, I, unless you've seen it firsthand mm-hmm. you you have no idea I had no a psychiatrist idea. in there tell me that in order to clinically diagnose mania, a patient has had to have been awake for over 72 hours. It's like the first thing. So if you've ever been awake longer than 72 hours and it was induced by like a state where you felt godlike or... Yeah, not, not only that, but you feel great. You feel Because I've been awake for over good. 36, 48 hours, me but too. I felt so shitty. Me too. Yeah, These this guys... This is like you're on another level and you're like... Uh, they're on God's cocaine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, quite frankly, um, you know... Uh, in the in the shining jack the character jack nicholson's character is supposed to be portrayed as like having a psychotic break but he's actually like demonstrating like me manic delusion um to give you an idea of like what the character of the persona is when somebody's experiencing yeah. that i like i said i saw and people that's not in to the imply hospital that you'll they'll get violent necessarily uh, sure but it like definitely, jack nicholson's character but, but God, i what, what's his name i oh johnny john no. All work and no play makes Johnny Jack. A dull I thought boy. it was Jack. Jack a dull boy. Is it Jack? I don't know. Damn it! I'm sorry, guys. Uh, yeah. We're being well, yelled at. I just want to drive. <laughs> I just want to drive the point home. Like, I'm, and I'm not afraid of people that are experiencing mania as the individual. I just, uh, if you are unwell. Yeah. Um, well, it's a true detriment because my heart breaks for you, and I hope you get the treatment you need. Because the mania people. I mean, they'll spend all their money. They'll make yeah. the worst they'll decisions. They'll do wild shit. They'll, they'll like, do wild shit. They'll do last-minute vacations to God knows where, hop on planes, you know. Um, but it's not really them deep down. It's, you know, I don't know if it's a chemical, spiritual, whatever kind of combination of just the perfect Well, and storm. the psychiatrists feel the same way. You know, nobody's nailing this down. Yeah. I learned while I was at the mental hospital that, honestly, they're treating symptoms. And they'll tell you this. I mean, medicine is treating symptoms. They can Western only treat... Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. They can only treat what they know. Um, this is like a very material affectation of Western medicine. And honestly, I left that mental hospital having more faith in Western medicine than ever because... And this is the point I was trying to drive home, is even the people that were experiencing mania to the point that they were just very unwell and scary um, until they were like uh, medicated there um we were all treated with dignity all of us and that's something that i just uh i will never forget you know um and that makes me super happy to hear they wouldn't do things for us right that was really important they would not hold our hands you should you should tell them about the choice to take medication oh yeah that's a yeah yeah, yeah. for me that that almost surprised me more than anything after seeing you know all the worst movies about like psych wards so they tell you that when you go in there um you're not required to take any of the medications that they give you if you do take a medication you're required to be watched to take it so that you won't uh barter it with somebody um and also, uh, one of the things that's really cool is they have a representative who, for you, that is not affiliated with the hospital. Um, they're a patient rep, and they have their number up on the walls, and they have their name. And so if you feel like at any point you're being mistreated, you can call that number. And they have phones there for you to like call the rep. And, I, and people called the rep while I was there. And I had no idea. And uh, this, because I used to be, quite frankly, scared of a lot of psychiatric medicine. But after hearing this, I'm like, it's come a long way. I'm, I'm sure there are still things that need to be worked out. There always is. But um, Dude, I had a psych... Oh, sorry. Just even I'm having... Sorry. No, you're good. Just even having like a patient rep like available. It was really progressive. Yeah. And well, and uh, it's a non-restraint facility as well. They also emphasize that when you're being committed. Because um, they have to do like a body cavity search and stuff on you just to make sure that you're not going to like bring in weaponry no, or anything no like this. No prison wallet yeah. moves. <laughs> which, which, which once you're in there, if you're in certain parts of the hospital, like it's that that's a legitimate reason. No, yeah, for real, um, for real. Well, and like the thing that was like fascinating to me about the whole experience as well, and I, d- I told Jordan about this a little bit, but like, uh, you know, the first psychiatrist I talked to, I told him like, I was like, I'm scared of schizophrenia. And he goes, yeah, he's like, schizophrenia, is, it, it, it can be scary. He was like, but here's the thing. He's like, I've been practicing psychiatry for almost 30 years now. He's like, antipsychotic medications come a long way. And he said, this is the thing I won't forget. He said, I know people that experience schizophrenia, that live meaningful lives, have lots of loved ones, and are able to have a professional lifestyle. And uh, the way he said that was like, to me, 
that like it destigmatized the whole situation for me. It didn't delegitimize schizophrenia, but it destigmatized it that I was because what I was experiencing was this deep rooted sense of guilt and punishment that I had done something wrong and that like I had caused my brain to be like cooked from drugs and alcohol, um, which in some capacities could possibly be, but like, it well, could I, be a fact, but I, I was convinced that I had like there. ruined my brain yeah. and, uh, you know, it took three psychiatrists in a mental hospital saying, dude, you're, you're, we got this You're You're going to be good for me to finally come calm down. You know, if I heard that word before, if I heard schizophrenia, like somebody say it in passing, I'd have a panic attack. Because you would be so afraid. I'd be like, I, well, I hope I'm not going to have psychosis right now. Like, because they just said that and I'm thinking and then, and what it really was was OCD. It makes yeah. more sense. Cause yeah, the second psychiatrist who did the evaluation on me, he said, uh, I don't think that you are afraid of having schizophrenia. You are afraid of the idea of having schizophrenia. He's like, and that is the root of what we need to treat. That's a, that's a pretty impressive thing to hear from a psychiatrist. I Cause I, I had, <sighs> Personally, and I know you did too, but um, pretty, at least in Idaho, I, I didn't get the best doctors. I want to say that that's the caveat. Um, and I, I do want to say to anybody that lives in a rural community, um, I cannot encourage try you to travel, Try to travel. If you can. If like you can. If you live to, in Idaho to a and you're not in Boise, if you can travel, you really yeah. should. To and Boise or Salt Lake I, City, I do want to really be fair. Should. It's been at least 10 years since you know in twin falls that you know people could have moved in we could have gotten some newer blood and into the psychiatry over there but just i would not chance it just personally if if your doctor is making things worse and making you feel worse it's probably not a good fit the uh, psychiatrist at Salt Lake behavioral health what i really appreciated was that they treated me uh like a patient and they treated me they didn't recite things to me and regurgitate information mm. and they didn't go it's this it needs that you know they said this is what this is going to do this is why i think you need to be on this you know um i wanted out of there i mean everyone wants out of there the whole time you're talking about getting out of there everyone is you know and it depends on how bad it is how long you stay some people are there for two weeks some people are there for three weeks it's not a long-term care facility so they could transfer you somewhere else if you're not well um but uh, after my second night there, I had talked to the psychiatrist. I was like, I want out. Like we're, we're on the same page. I've got my diagnosis. Like I need to, I, I, I will benefit the most if I get outside, um, and go get my work done. I, I've proved that, you know, and I talked to the psychiatrist and the one that was going to discharge me. And he was like, yeah, like we got you. He was like, that's fair. And we went through like all the steps to get out of there and whatnot to do all of the evaluations. And he was like, he was the one that had talked to me the most human the whole time and got me on the medications and whatnot. And I wanted to leave that day. And he just said to me very sternly, he was like, you know, we've got a lot accomplished here. He's like, I need you here one more night, uh, because I need to be able to track your sleep and I need to track you taking this medication one more time. And I was about to like barter with him. And he then said to me, he's like, and that is my professional medical opinion. And I would like it to be respected. And when he said that after he had talked to me like a human that whole time, that really sealed the deal on it to me. Like he was basically saying to me, like, please trust me. Yeah. I, this is, this he, is, he this is a relationship between the two of us for our well being. You give a little, take a little kind of thing. And it was, uh, yeah. I, and I'm glad if I hadn't stayed that extra night, it could have been bad for me, you know, cause I, I gained just some nuanced insight the next day from the experience, you know? Um, it's crazy talking about it because it almost sometimes feels like it didn't happen because it was like three a weird weeks ago. Dream. A fever dream mask. It, it um, sounds like a fever dream. But what was bizarre about it was yeah. like that it uh, it got me on track to what it is that's like causing the issue. You know, I've had so many doctor's appointments since I got out and everything. And uh, honestly, right now my my cognitive functions better than ever. You know, I'm not harboring like extreme guilt or animosity. I'm not having breakdowns. I'm not having panic attacks. I'm not rapid cycling through mood swings. You know, um, it's all there. I feel it all, but it's like the music can't start for the song to be sung, you know, yeah. but I can feel it. You know, it's like the turntable, like the record's spinning, but the needle hasn't dropped. That's how yeah. I feel about like basically everything's at bay. So yeah, that's, that's what happened, you know, and I'm on the up and up, you know, um, just to circle back to what I had said at the beginning, you know, the most important thing to me with everything that I'm doing right now is I'm uh, maintaining my sobriety. That's, uh, 
for me personally, that's the way to. That's Priority the path. Numero uno. That's the path to enlightenment for me. Quite frankly, I'm seeing it like more clear than ever. I don't even feel like it's magical thinking. I truly, my well-being, my future is all predicated on my sobriety, and that that sobriety is today. You know, it's not. I'm not thinking like God. I can't wait to be sober for ten years. <laughs> you know, be an old head. I don't give a shit about that. Quite frankly, you know, I'm concerned about literally August. 31st of 2021 and I will tomorrow will be tomorrow and the next day will be the next day but I'm just thinking about like right now and that's the easiest way to do it anyway because the second you think about it outside of the present um that's when it feels overwhelming you know what's when you're like okay I can decide right now to not and I can let tomorrow me decide to continue there's a portion of the Alcoholics Anonymous big book where they talk about the emotional psychopath alcoholic, which I relate with a lot. It's like the drunk that will get drunk and be like, Oh, I got to stop doing this. And they're like, and if I stop doing this, then I can get this new car. And if I stop drinking, I can do this and that and this, and all these good things will happen in my life. They think and it's then, like a superpower. Yeah. They think it's like a superpower semen retention or then, something. Yeah. 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 And so then no fap they, on Reddit. Oh think they can God. fly and jump out the window. And <laughs> it's delusional. Yeah. And, uh, any anyway, uh, and then and then the day next day would come, and I'd have all these plans, and I'd have no. Uh, it, they would all just be words, you right. know. And this is outside of the drinking. I something I'm like criminally guilty of is like being like, here's this grandiose idea and this grandiose idea, you know, and and articulating all these things, but having no device to make it happen. And I truly believe it's a metaphysical principle. Well, and not only that, because you and I are both insane idea generators, but. To the point where it's so overwhelming that you can't actually get anything done. And that's why I never got more stable until I decided on a, a career path and decided to stick with it no matter what. Because I was in analysis paralysis and I'm like, but what if I do this? But what if I'd rather want to do that? And it's making a, it's the thing where making a decision is better than making no decision. Even, Absolutely. Even if it's the wrong decision. Because then you know, okay, well, that sucked. So now I'm going to go the other way but if you never made a decision you would have never found out yeah no I'm, I'm completely with you uh dude my buddy said something yesterday about music that was really beautiful there's this frank zappa quote and he's like if you want to make music there's two rules number one you have to make music and number two you gotta keep doing it hey i've been following that rule pretty well <laughs> you have honestly one of my favorite characteristics about you uh um is that you've always had music in your life and music is a four letter word to me. You know, I love it, but like I've broken my own heart with it so many times that I've like had pride get in the way. So I won't even start anything. Um, what's his name from stranger things. He plays hopper, David. Oh yeah. David Harbor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, David Harbor. I think he was in the new uh, black widow movie. Um, we got a rip on that after this, but, uh, yes, uh, (laughs) He, I watched him on Hot Ones a couple of days ago. Uh, the episode's not necessarily new. I mean, it's kind of new, but... Uh, and he said... Because he had, and he's super open with... Um, he had, like, a horrible time acting for most of his life, and, like, most of it was, like, disappointment after disappointment. I mean, And we're talking, like, 20 or 30 years. Like, and uh, he learned from the actor's studio or something from one of his acting teachers. He said, I didn't used to agree with this, but now I do. He said, only act if you have to, like if there's something within you that won't let you not act because, because that path for most people is just filled with heartbreak and disappointment. And to be frank, a lot of my music pursuit has been, heartbreak and disappointment but i just got a drum somehow you i just got a drum dude here's the i thing. got a drum i love that i love that <laughs> i love that you know um it's my only release it's basically my only ec- form of exercise i, I would be a, a fat piece of shit if i didn't do it i have a room i had a roommate in 2013 during the school year named taylor clay he's like one of the best musicians i've ever quite frankly been around um and i remember he was talking one time about being motivated to practice and he was like, if you need to find a reason to practice, you should fucking stop. Or you can find the reason. Go I, find your thing. S- sometimes I'll go, I'll go like a, at most a week or two without practicing. 
but then that's the importance, at least for me, of having live performances scheduled. Because that, I'm like, I'm so afraid to fail in front of an audience that I will be practicing every day, almost the week before the show. Heard, and that's a, yeah. that's a healthy thing. My, I've really taken what Taylor said to heart, and uh, um, literally, I only pick up the horn when I want to. I only pick up the horn I to think practice that's when I want to. And yeah. uh, here's the thing: I if I only pick up the horn when I want to, I pick it up more often. <laughs> that's see, yeah. now that's the trade-off. Yeah, is when it's, I'm doing it's, it for it's the right like, reasons. Almost like reverse psychology. It is because not, not quite, but, but, but kind it, of well, it's authentic. It's authenticity. Yeah. You're authenticating your musical experience and your musical expression. Because when I pick up the trombone now, it is to make music full fucking stop. Nothing else. Yeah. Everything else is a Even byproduct if you're of alone the music in your room. Yeah. yeah. I'm playing melodies to myself. I'm doing warm up. If I'm playing it a warm up, I, it's a sing songy warm up. I'm singing songs while I warm up. I like. I literally, if I'm playing my trombone, I am playing and writing music. That's it. That's the only thing I use it for. That's it. That's it. That's it. No questions asked. Once I changed my relationship to music and made it that, and I can't express enough that that's the best advice I ever got as a musician. Uh, that only make music when you want to make music like don't like otherwise it becomes like contrived hacky bullshit yeah and i've i've fallen into the trap of like wanting to be well liked and wanting you know my bands to be popular but when i fall into that rabbit hole it becomes a chore and i start to resent it when i'm like when i change my attitude and i reframe it to be like even if we have a scheduled performance tonight if we play to nobody, I'm just going to call it a dress rehearsal and I'm still going to have fun, <laughs> you know? Fuck yeah. No. Yeah. Well, have you seen that video of have heart playing for that middle school? Maybe there's like 15 or 20 people in the audience and have heart is just going fucking nuts. Yeah. It's also an under exactly. a performance of that. Yeah. Um, I, well, l- l- like we that. were in Idaho. Uh, we were lucky to witness a few performances like that because dude, the shows, dude, at the radio be, rendezvous could be very hit or miss. I mean, you're lucky sometimes, especially in the hardcore scene, I, which I don't even know if that exists in Twin Falls anymore. Not really, from I what I've heard. It. I doubt it. Yeah. Um, when you have a band, bands like Polar Bear Club or like Bane come through and terror remember terror. that well that was i mean we that got one was stacked yeah for yeah sure. I, I was gonna say we had like a hundred people from boise drive down but bane, um bane didn't have a big crowd they didn't oh uh, it was okay Meyer i'd L- say okay. Meyer and lung had a small ass crowd their second time which shocked me because the first time i was in judah's basement and that was my favorite show i ever experienced in twin falls yeah i remember that one and then but they then, did the didn't they also do the garage show yeah in judah's garage yes and that one had and the cops shut turnout. it down cop shut that sorry down. we're using names I, I don't know if we're supposed to <laughs> oh i mean it, it's bands it's it's folklore i mean it's history this is yeah, this yeah, is yeah. just music scene history sure uh, idaho utah music yeah oh, let's sorry. uh you're good yeah let's um, record it um, um otherwise it won't get told yeah right um, uh there's another band uh did you ever listen to mr fisher and the hospitality so they were okay i did see them at, I the, saw at them that too. one show you might have been there i performed with them one time i don't know if i saw you perform yeah zach and i did uh dunstable you know what? I think I did see that. Yeah, it was, I think it was really. Was it good. in that weird house in that <laughs> in that living room, basically? Um, yes. Yeah, I didn't perform at that one, but uh, I saw that. That's the one where Logan King got his head split open. Do you remember that? I don't know if I stayed long enough for that, dude. Logan I don't even King, remember that. Logan King got his head split open and had to have stitches, and he was just covered in blood. Aaron had like uh, Logan. Fucking, that's so hardcore. Yeah, Logan. We or, love you, Logan. Yeah, Aaron, I miss you, Aaron. You <laughs> Aaron Essig had donkey kicked him in the fucking head. Rest in peace, Aaron. Well, I remember. Um, yeah, dude. I remember the head kick. Yeah, the yeah split his head open. It was nuts, dude. Blood everywhere. Yeah, I will never. I that. remember the head kick. I don't remember Logan. King, that was, but one, I remember it was Aaron who got kicked in the head. That was legitimately yeah. one of the hardest shows I've ever been to in my life. It that was, it was. I have one or two more that can rival. It that, was. Bu- but, um, well, it, okay, maybe for Idaho too. Right, maybe for Idaho too. Well, Seeing Basement the, at Gilman no, was the scariest nuts. shows I ever saw were in Idaho. Small basement shows. Those were the, yeah. the scariest, most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw a band. Most I, relatively I metal, violent. I've I ever saw seen. a metal band called Teeth. Like pow- they were. Dude, I love Teeth. Teeth with the. They're the, like a grindcore. Band. Yeah, PB band. Yeah, yeah, dude. They. I saw them one time in a basement, and I was like, genuinely. They blew me away. For my life. I saw them at Radio 
rendezvous. I would Herb. not. I would not want to see them in a basement. No, they were fucking bananas. Oh, dude, they're I like saw, as good as Converge. I saw. They're really good. Yeah. yeah, I saw a straight edge PV band from Kenosha, Wisconsin, in a basement and out in Filer, Idaho, one time. And uh, there was like 30 people there and I was just getting my ass kicked and kicking ass and it felt good. I was like in a basement and we'd like knocked out one of the fucking pillars that like held the basement up. Oh God. You know what I'm dude. saying? Yeah. Somebody in had like, Filer? somebody, somebody fell through. I it. never went to a show in Filer. I didn't even was, know someone was putting was them on. fucking hard, man. Any, uh, anyway, this is all oh, what were you living saying? legends. Man, we are really, but uh, no, no really I mean, it's a sweet nostalgic. story. Uh, They're like a, I mean, it's not no, the oh, same. Oh, yeah. As a, so I was going to say, uh, Mr. Fisher. So good. They were good. I, the drums were super, like, cymbal crashing heavy. And as a drummer, I just don't. Oh. I don't think that's super creative. Nothing drives me more nuts than unnecessary cymbals. Like, it's just, like, nonstop unnecessary crashing. Unnecessary cymbals is. And it like, hurts your ear so bad if you don't have <laughs> earplugs. Unnecessary cymbals. Like, dude, <laughs> like, nothing is more. This is, like, what separates a dad rock band from, like, somebody to me who's, like, trying to, like, get a message. Uh, uh, um, a modern message across is like if you're singing a song and the phrase is going along and every time you finish a phrase the drummer goes like oh yeah i'm just like go fuck yourself i'd rather i'd rather underplay it's like fucking please it didn't need either of those i'd you just just can you just groove brother i'd rather underplay than overplay because especially if it doesn't fit the music now like fast hardcore music kind of lends itself to more uh See, and I even prefer it off. with. I prefer um, it with less symbols too. But um, just when the drummer's doing like nonstop fills, you're like, yeah, "What dude, is he doing back dude. there? He's really getting hard." Fills are special. <laughs> yes, fills fills are exclusively for special occasions. You should treat them like a luxury, and stop doing them every four bars. Yeah. That's that's my PSA. Oh my god, I've just heard so many drummers like. And the guitar is like the same chord for like eight bars. And you're like, what is what is he doing back there? I love when drummers go. It's like what is like it's like well like the Hawaii Five O fill. Oh my god! It's like straight four all the way to your thing. That's why I got rid of my second tom. Heard because I didn't want it. Because like having two toms and one snare forces you to do some a. Asyncratic fills. Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're so you don't like having four as a drummer, you're like really tempted to just go down the do 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 But having three, you have to do like and it just it breaks up the sound. Yeah, it will also the motion doesn't feel like as fluid. Because like the thing that makes that thing that makes that um pleasing is your sweeping. Yeah. And so when you do that, I'm not trying to talk at you. I'm just saying like I've thought I spent some time thinking about like why the Fuck, do people do that? Because it, it, like, dude, if it's if it's if it fits the song, that's dope. It just drives me nuts when but like ninety like percent of the time it doesn't. When a song's fit going along, and somebody's <laughs> like, "Yeah, my dog died a couple weeks ago." <laughs> it's like, oh, dude, fuck you. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's why, like, in housewarming party, your symbols are very tasteful in housewarming party. I would say I dial it back. Especially compared to Fight the Future, I dial it back at least like fifty to sixty percent. I because lo- the music—that's what the music asks. I want to bring back more. I could jerk myself um, off more, but I yeah. really don't want to because it sounds like shit. I want to bring back sludgy hi hats, trap hats. Uh, I don't want to bring that back. Obviously, it's it's here, but and also more ride symbol bell. Dude, bell. no one. More ride symbol bell. You know who uses? No one. Do like, you, no modern drummer used, like, newer dude, modern drummers used rides anymore. You want to know who uses Ride it, Bell so well? The drummer from Vane. Have yeah. you watched his drum cam? No. I use Ride Bells God, in, in, so in every band I've ever been in. I love Ride Bells, every band. dude. I love, I love Ride Bells. Oh, I think man. they sound so sick. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't even remember how we got here. Um, I don't uh, either. Oh, um, one thing I wanted to add, uh, something Pine Grove does really well. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. they'll like have a melody. It'll be like, boom, 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 boom. There's no drums, right? And then, and then instead of going like, doom, cat, doom, pack, doom, cat. 
it's literally the drummer hits the snare like a like you'd hit a cymbal before you come in. So instead of going like one, like two, pla- three, four, psh, psh, he goes like one, two, three, pop, boom, yeah. It's so fucking hot. I pull like, I pull that move uh, in one housewarming party song called uh for pinks again. Okay. Yeah. Sick. Uh, yeah, I fucking I feel like the snare is underutilized as far as like being a, like an a f- well, sound effect. Like that's really what it We're going to get really so nitty-gritty if we keep going on this path. I love music. it and I honestly if you're uh, with us still that's fine. If not, we'll get out of this eventually, but I'm probably. loving the conversation. Uh People don't, even if they're a really good drummer, I would say 80% of the bands that I see don't tune their snare very well. Oh, for, well. If not more. But dude, there's some um, there's some snares out right now that are so like punchy that, I, oh God, I love it. It's like, it sounds gross. I'm just I talking working like the local scene. Oh, heard. Heard um, me. No, like typically bigger bands hopefully have some kind of. Uh, they have their sound. Tuning. That's the yeah. thing. By the time they've gotten there, they have their sound for sure. But like uh, the other night, um, <laughs> I'm not obviously not going to name names or anything, and I don't want to talk shit. I heard there's a there's a band. The drummer's really good, and I do admire his style. Like I'm not that's heard. but just the really high pitched like tinny <laughs> snare, like and it it sounds uh, it sounds like you're smacking almost like a trash can lid or something. And like, there's no decay. There's no resonance. It's like, and I'm like, I can barely hear the snare through the mix. And I'm like, dude, please just watch a YouTube video. Dude. One of the coolest things you can do to like, dude, I, I studied with this drum teacher. He taught jazz music, but he was a drummer primarily. And he would have us play tunes just drums and my trombone. So you, oh, I, that's cool. So I'm dependent, just like jamming. I'm dependent on the harmonic stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so uh, dude, so you're it, doing the melody and basically the, the, the harmony. Rhythm. But the thing is, is he would set you up and he would talk about how he would always teach his students. Like they would have to play on the drums. They'd have to play melodies. Oh, that's so cool. Like if you wanted to play how high yeah. the moon, you don't just get up there and go like, bang, dang, get down, getting down, getting down, getting down, getting down, yeah, you, you play the drums you to accent the melody. And I feel like drummers, they have this, and it took, you know, for me a long time to develop it. To properly accent a song is very difficult. Drums, you have to have it memorized, for sure. Um, it's a total cliche to say that drums are uh, the most melodic instrument of the bunch. Um, or, or it's almost, uh, it sounds like, uh, you're just trying to be edgy, but the case that I would make for the melodic composition of the drums in general in Western music is that they articulate phrases Yeah, and, and music comes to life when you shape it. Like it, it, a song changes, like a, a song absolutely changes with shape. Like, like a, a story being told and having a punchline is the same idea as a shape in a song. It's why it like gives you that feeling, you know, and, and literally the only instrument that can truly get the whole group there is a drum set. So you drummers that I really admire and respect number one accent, all the little nuances of like solos or like lead parts on guitar. But above that, what I really respect are when drums accent vocal melodies and parts Mm. that's that i think that's a really hard for a lot of drummers to do you know when you're only accenting what they're saying not what the bass or the guitar is doing but what the singer or you know the front man is doing or saying one of the hottest musical things that a drummer can do to spice up a song for me like add like a little bit of like um for musical foreplay is sit out is what sit out sit out yeah oh yeah yeah get the song going get the song going and then yeah just get out of the way Mm. and then you're just like looking for it the whole time you're literally being teased well it's 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 the 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 opposite of the the drummer jerking himself off yes showing restraint i mean really it's It's like it's the most attractive characteristic of a drummer it's a it's 
it's teasing and foreplay for sure. It like absolutely that's, is. That's it's what musical it is. foreplay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and it's it again because you're like you want it, but you're not getting it. it but if you get it and you get too song. much, then you're not gonna really appreciate it. And it's, it feels like there's too much going on. I don't. Know. Well, when I've recorded, <laughs> when I've recorded on like a professional level, where like everyone in the room was getting paid, you know, um, to record something, and you got a guy in the booth who's like directing the whole thing. He's the producer. Yeah. You know, I'm in the room with professional musicians and we're rocking and rolling, you know, um, there'll be little notes here and there like, Hey, you got to watch this note here. It sounds out like you're, you're sticking out or things like that, like little things, but as professional musicians, you're pretty perseverant. But the one thing that the producer is always doing is shaping the song. So he'll be like, now this is getting into the nitty gritty of brass, but or like wind instruments. But if you want wind instruments to pop, it's all about where you're putting tongue stops. So like. If you've got a phrase and it ends on the end of four, you all have to end on the end of four together. You literally got to put your tongue in front of the aperture and stop the air. Yeah. And if you do that, then it creates a shape. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. It's like a vacuum. Um, so uh, don't way. stop till you get enough. Yes. Because you, you're creating space. Yeah. Now, um, don't stop till it you get. It takes your breath away. Yeah. Don't stop literally. till you get enough uh, when, when the brass comes in. Uh, what makes that the most one of the most iconic brass moments in Western music history is how those hits happen on Michael's third verse. So it's like, uh, and it's like all those tongue stops. But then, but then he'll be like, and then the horns will be like, Bow, yeah. and like those tongue stops dude and um it literally creates uh, well and I've, I've been told by other professional musicians that that's where what drives the energy that's what i really miss when you're all stopping together what i really miss about big band jazz music um at least playing it it's where you learn all of that or or experiencing it uh man we gotta go to a jazz show um I haven't seen jazz in like a couple of years, I, but there's uh, a chance I'm going to start playing again. Okay. I'm like right around the corner, but, uh, it's the thing is, it's other than like, typically, I mean, there's always exceptions, but other than like designated solo spots and all that, it's all highly choreographed, but it, it doesn't sound like it is. No. And, and that's, that's, that's the genius of it. That is the genius. Like of it. It, well, it it's sounds, like, it's like a ballet. Sounds a little random. Sounds like a little chaotic, but every, almost every single, you know, other than kind of some fills and some solos, almost every single note is explicitly planned out. I was listening to this big band tune from the Count Basie orchestra today called Splinky. And it's like a really good, honestly, it's like a bread and butter study on how to play in a big band. Uh, there's like a, there's a melody that's like the lead trombone, lead trumpet. And I want to say like, uh, alt, the lead alto player, you you start the melody. It's just, it's a blues, but it's like beat up, okay. But the thing is, is like singing it like that doesn't create energy at all. How they're playing it is like, oh, they're so good. And they're so good with the dynamics and all those big percussive stops. Yeah. And that's like, again, comes back to like how you create shapes in jazz music in particular is through like percussive elements. Even dude, even when you get into like the really complicated, like, uh, um, like eighth note lines that like jazz musicians will just be playing over changes and they're just like going yep they're still being super percussive yeah because the patterns are much more complicated than the actual notes you're playing dude the the patterns when you're teaching young musicians um i've had this argument but this is my personal opinion rhythm comes before anything i agree Uh, you 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 can like here's the thing you can fuck up beethoven nine um harmonically and it will sound like get away like you can like get away with it but um (laughs) The harmony doesn't tell you the story. Yeah. You know? And and it's like, God, I just think about that a lot. Because, like, uh, when I'm teaching somebody, like, if I'm, like, I've worked on a song and I'm getting together with people to, like, perform or, like, work on it so it could be performed, I'm never talking about the chords. I'm always yeah. talking about the grooves. Yep. Well, and I was taught, because I took piano lessons for several years before I ever, well, like, four years before I started playing in, like, percussion, like, symphony band in school. And... 
they I was told over and over and over again that piano was a percussion instrument. It is. And I, it took me a couple, I mean, I was really young. It took me years to really understand it. And translating piano over to drums is like an unbelievable advantage. All musicians should, yeah. all musicians should get um, competent on a keyboard. Yeah. At, at least enough to play out. even simple tunes. Yep. Yep. Like three or getting four competent note on the tunes. keyboard unlocks everything else because it, it it's it's like the master key to music because everything's there <laughs> the har the harmony all the harmony like yeah. here's the thing harmony all, percussion yes pattern sound uh, shape too that's dynamics the, you know why it's called the piano no. it was originally called the pianoforte and the reason was oh, because yeah, so yeah. when you play the harpsichord the harpsichord difference between the harpsichord is a stringed instrument the piano is a percussive instrument the reason is because when you play a harpsichord you press that's, that's the one volume note, the whole it, time that's right? correct and it yeah. just strums it has like guitar picks on the inside of it or a little claw and it strums yeah. the guitars or and the strings you, you get that old timey sound that you hear in like pirates of the caribbean when they're like do, 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 or yeah, like yeah, in yeah, a yeah. not in a it's, saloon it's a, but it's a baroque sound yeah and uh Saloon's no. more of like a tinny piano. That's a that's a piano. Yeah, that's yeah. a ragtime piano. Now the difference with the piano is you press the key, and then there's a hammer. There's a literal hammer with felt on it that hits the string. Yeah, it's a, it is literally so it's, a percussive it's, instrument like that. Now they call yeah. it the piano forte because you can shape the sound based on how hard you hit the keys. Yeah. So each one of the keys has a volume dial on it, and that yeah. volume dial is your fingers. <laughs> well, and, oh, <laughs> like dang. it's a fascinating What's instrument. What's the pedal? Is it? It's not the mute pedal. I forgot what it the was one called. on the the, the, the damper pedal. Oh sure. That's like a game changer for like high level pianists because you, you can, can hear all the beats. You could do such cool intricate things that I never even realized they were doing with the damper pedal to just oh. Stopping well, and it the, and the sustain pedal too yeah. on the piano changes yeah, things both big time too because it makes it more orchestral. Yeah, um, yeah, the, dude, the piano is. You can let those notes sick, ring out. The piano is such a sick instrument, dude. And, and it sounds like you're playing like twenty notes, even though you only have ten fingers. Yeah, when yeah, you're yeah, using yeah. the sustain pedal correctly, um, and that's why it sounds so full and so dynamic, and partially why a lot of people can build a career just around playing piano because it's it's an all-encompassing instrument you're able to make it sound like you're doing 20 times more than what you're really doing it's such a cool instrument damn it we're music nerds <laughs> i love i love it i don't even feel bad about it um i do have to wrap up okay I'm sorry to just yeah so all, hard all like good that, but all i good. love god i love how we ended that just geeking out about music because that's like literally all i've been doing lately yeah so okay we'll get We'll get more wooey coming down the line. I think this was good. Definitely getting back on the saddle for sure. I think this uh, was good as far as letting people know where we're at. Um, I have some other stories that I'll have to save for next time. But um, we don't plan on stopping. We talked about this. Um, we're going to record when we can as the uh, opportunities arrive. Um, so hang in there. I mean, if you can hang in with us for the rest of the year, I, th I think we're going to get really stable and I think we're going to be able to crank out some bangers. So we definitely, um, we, we definitely are on our way again. So yeah. Um, if you liked us, uh, you can find more. Honestly, I haven't even been on Instagram for like a couple of weeks. Uh, but that's, if I'm on social media, that's where I, uh, I'm at for the show anyway. So uh, Instagram at uh, fake magic pod and all that's one word and then magic spelled with the CK at the end. Um, <clears throat> and again, like I really want to emphasize you don't have to give anything, especially while we're kind of wishy-washy with our release schedule. But if you do, if you like it enough and you want to, I mean, even like donate a dollar or something, uh, you can go to our link tree forward slash fake magic. Um, and that's uh, L I N K T R dot E E forward slash fake magic, one word with the CK. Uh, there's a link to the Patreon on there as well. Again, no pressure. We've been a little wishy washy on the release. It's going to get better if you stick with us. But yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again hopefully sooner than later. Bye.